one of the biggest misconceptions around human trafficking is that it doesn't happen here, that it only happens in Thailand, in Malaysia, in India, in Eastern Europe. And the reality is, I don't care where you're sitting listening to this right now, it's happening within a two kilometer radius from where you're sitting right now. Hey ladies, and welcome back to Perspective. And we have a show and a half for you guys today. Oh my gosh, we have a show that is, and like we say all the time, our guests are amazing and we take so much from our shows, but this is one that really like gets to the heartstrings and really, I think for both of us, like really incited some change. We want to make a difference. We want to be a part of this because of the amazing things that they do lit a flame inside us for sure and obviously we're going to get into it so shout out our sponsors and we'll get right into it because um this is this is a big one yeah this is a heavy one too so thank you to our sponsor vitality md so thank you to our sponsor vitality md do not forget to use our promo code perspective 100 at vitalitymd.com to book the O-Shot or the Vivive treatments. So again, that's promo code perspective 100 And thank you to our sponsor, House of Hyla, for supporting perspective as well. House of Hyla is a Canadian shoe brand bringing the most beautiful, affordable, vegan leather monochromatic pumps. Check out their full product line at houseofhyla.com and do not forget to use perspective 20 at checkout for 20% off your first order of any Generation 2 purchase. Yes, yes. Two incredible brands and businesses that we stand behind and love. So definitely check them out. Uh, So yeah, let's get right into it. We have definitely a heavy episode today. Uh, We will say trigger warning on this one because we are talking to Shay Invidiata, She founded the not-for-profit organization Freedom in 2010 and is one of Canada's leading voices and agencies in the anti-human trafficking movement. Uh, So like I said, trigger warning, we are going to be discussing the horrific and unfortunate fact that uh, sex trafficking and human trafficking exists and Shay is going to chat with us about what that looks like, things we can do to help, and um, a lot of the changes that need to happen. Yeah. Uh, Shay, above above the fact that she founded um, Free Them, she is a benevolent disruptor. She's also award-winning human rights activist. She's a philanthropist, an entrepreneur, a speaker, and also a wellness advocate. And that's just her volunteer work. Shay is also a successful real estate agent who operates um, an amazing real estate team and company. So, I mean, that's all the advocacy work that she does is in her spare time. And uh, she has an incredible team. Then they're all very dedicated to helping stop human trafficking and as we said before like Jess it incited something in you and I big time um and we we too would want to get involved in this and we hope you as our listeners will take this seriously and that it will light something inside of you too yeah so as you said Laura it is trigger warning but 
please do not shy away from it. Uh, just be prepared for the heaviness of this because this is something that is going on in our own backyard. This is something that is happening, as Shay said, with her stats. Um, and I'll let her relay them when she does in the episode. It is something that is like beyond shocking. So we want everyone to listen. We want everyone to be aware because that is how we start. And clearly, as we will hear, you know, the awareness part has been an issue for people. And that's for many um, for many reasons that we don't even go into. But getting awareness out there was a tough struggle for them. And now we finally they finally had a milestone, which Shay mentioned. And yeah, we just want you guys to be really listening, but also prepared. Yeah. And the the reason we wanted to do this show also, like, obviously, it's a super, super important topic that needs more awareness and attention. But because we know that voices are needed here, it is horrible to think about. Nobody wants to think about it, especially, you know, as a parent and as parents, but, you know, any healthy, normal individual that um, cares about other humans it's awful. It's we we are happy as a society to operate in our ignorance and I know that's a controversial statement and some people may have a big problem with that and that's fine. Freedom of speech kind of. Um, but we really think that this is it well not think, we know and based on somebody like Shay who has spent years of dedication Almost and two investigation. Decades. Yeah, and research to this and learning about it and understanding it and has statistics like mentioned so it isn't like just you know a conspiracy theory or something that has happened here and there this is like a growing one of the top trades industries in the world and Shay does get into that too so when I say that we're talking about trading humans for profit yeah commodity of sex of women and children very young children primarily And now is the time that, you know, like you said, we've operated a lot under ignorance. Now is the time we have to step out of the denial because the truth is this is happening and women, children out there, victims cannot afford to have people still in denial. And silenced. And, you know, we we challenge any of you to come to us and say that this is being reported in the media lots. It already gets lots of attention. It doesn't. And that's the problem. And why is that? So we do ask our listeners, ask yourself that question. Ask yourself like what we should be doing and how this should be handled. And and how can you guys, how can we contribute to the solution? Exactly. And if we're not contributing to the solution, I'm not afraid to say that we're still contributing to the problem. So this is a different topic for us um, in terms of just like tone and uh, theme. But as you know, perspective represents like women and what's right and uplifting voices that aren't necessarily getting the kind of stage or platform that they need. And we are trying to do our part to help that. And this is something that's very near and dear to our hearts. And we want to get more involved. And if you guys have questions about that and how to do that, obviously, the internet is a great resource and um, you can find Shay and her team and free them all over the internet. But if you still have questions, please feel free to reach out to us about anything. We will do our best to point you in the right direction. Um, so yeah, once again, we want to say 
This could be triggering content for some of our listeners. And uh, we hope that you do listen if you can and really, you know, think about it and let us know what you think and how you want to help. And and yeah, it's it's a heavy episode. So we'll get into it now. And we are super, super honored to welcome Shay Invidiata to the show. Welcome, Shay. Welcome, Shay. Thanks so much for being here. My pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, thank you so much. And, you know, today we're talking about something um, is a little bit unfortunate, but it's kind of amazing that you started something so cool. And I want you to go through how you did that. But I also really want you to talk about how you started it and where it came up as an issue for you, like how you became aware of it, because I think that is a really interesting aspect of what you do as well. Sure. Sure. You know, so I'm I'm 36 now, and my journey in this started um, when I was 18, and it was uh, 2003. You know, so going back a solid whatever the math is on that, 17 years ago, 18 years ago, something like that. Um, and I had moved to the island of Oahu, um, which people commonly known as Hawaii. And if you've ever been to the island of Oahu, that's where Waikiki is, Honolulu is. Uh, there's three main roads that are parallel to the ocean. And the middle one is uh, Kuhio Avenue. And that's where our dorm was. And so uh, the university had, it was, a, it was a hotel and half operated as a hotel and the other half operated as our dorm. And if you stay in Waikiki long enough, you'll learn that Kuhio Avenue is also commonly known as Candy Lane. And this is where you would see um, by day kids and families and adults and girls and boys and board shorts and bikinis with surfboards and bicycles and skateboards and so forth. Uh, and, you know, come sunset, you would see the streets in Waikiki transform and specifically Kohio Avenue to uh, still young girls uh, that were evidently younger than I was at the time, um, but half naked. And they would be walking the strip there. And so um, in the world of fighting human trafficking, we call that the track. And that's just basically anywhere a girl can be found walking. You know, so whether it's a street, a street corner, a neighborhood, but the track. And for me, you know, um, in the beginning, it was I wanted to understand why. Why would a, a 13-year-old, 14-year-old, 15-year-old girl choose, like, quote, unquote, choose to be um, in this industry? And whether you believe that prostitution was right or wrong for me was irrelevant. Um, you know, I just, I really wanted to understand why. And it took me down a journey that obviously then changed my life. Um, but I started to, to learn these girls' stories, which is a, um, a much longer um, discussion around how I got to know their stories. Uh, but I would see them day in and day out. And so I had one of two options, um, ignore their presence, people that you see every day. And, you know, we all have, most of us, whether we're actual A-type personalities, like I am like super A-type. So I have like a routine, it's very regimented, but even if you're not like a creature of habit as A-type, you, we all are creatures of habit, right? Mm -hmm. We all wake up, we 
either brush our teeth, don't brush our teeth, we go and have our coffee versus having a tea, whatever it is, right? And there's these patterns. And so I relate it to, um, you know, there's a coffee shop that you go to if you're a coffee drinker. And if you go there every single morning at eight o'clock, you'll start seeing the same faces, right? Around eight o'clock. And eventually they become your neighborhood coffee friends. And in the beginning, it's like you, you look at them, you make eye contact, you walk away, you know, maybe in a few days later, you see them, you see them. And it's like a half smile. Then that half smile becomes like a, you know, more of a smirk. Then it's a good morning. Then it's a, have a great day. And then it's, you know, you, you just, you build up, right? Like it becomes your neighborhood. And so the relationship a little bit. Exactly. And we all have those people that we see all the time in the same spot that we actually never have those conversations with. We just actually, we see them, but there's no acknowledgement for whatever reason, right? Maybe you just don't connect with that person. And so I had that choice. I had the decision of, I see these girls day in and day out from waking up in the morning to go for a surf before I go to classes, from coming home from school uh, or like coming home from my like my night classes, coming home from dinners, coming home from like the clubs at, you know, two o'clock in the morning or whatever it was because I was in university. Um, And I would see these girls day in and day out. And I decided to um, acknowledge them as humans, um, as as a female, you know, recognizing that I believe we're all connected and therefore I see her as my sister in some form. And, you know, as I shared with you, I wanted to understand why. And the only way to understand that is to actually build a relationship. And that's really what I did. And over a period of about two, about two years, um, I was consistent in the things that I did. And I started to learn these girl stories and I started to learn about the modeling agency that didn't exist when they showed up on the island of Oahu. I started to learn about the boyfriend that promised them a dream vacation of a lifetime and it turned into their worst living nightmares. Oh my gosh. Um, I, you know, learned about the forced abortions and the forced augmentations. I learned about their quote unquote boyfriend who was their pimp who took their son to school and picked their son up from school and they didn't know how to get off the island because unlike if you're being trafficked in, you know, California, your odds of being able to escape are higher than, of course, on an island surrounded by thousands of bodies of water before you get to mainland. And so at the time, what I was seeing and what I was understanding was, um, that these girls, that the word prostitute that we equate so much with choice is widely misrepresented. And the more accurate word to be using is prostituted. And it wasn't until years later that I actually learned the word human trafficking. Back when I had was starting in this 2003, it was not, it wasn't a common word at all. Amongst legislators, amongst media, it was politicians. It was not, it was not common. And so what I was seeing, I was describing like how these girls were lured, they were coerced, they were being forced, they were exploited, they were being exploited for profit, uh, they were being controlled, they were being manipulated. So all of these things, if you look up the definition of human trafficking in layman's terms, that's what it is. Um, and so back then, I just understood it that these girls were being forced and they were being prostituted. And incredible right. how when you add two letters on the end of a word, how it can radically change the meaning. And that's where my mission started. That's where my journey started, where 
you know, if, if it was me, I'd be praying that somebody would see me as a victim. They would see me for what's actually, what the truth is, what the real story is, and not as a whore, not as a survival of the fittest, not as a, she must have made some pretty bad decisions in her life, or she's doing what she needs to do to provide for X, which I think is the lousiest um, excuse that we as a government or society um, have allowed for that to happen. Like, I believe we have failed our daughters when that is even an option that it's like, well, have you tried everything? It's like, that should not even be an option. Uh, that's a whole other discussion, but, um, you know, seeing these girls as, as victims for what was really happening to them and not what they chose, but rather the circumstance chose them. And, I just vowed one day I was, uh, I was sitting in Waikiki on the beach watching a sunset. And I just said, as long as I have a voice, I want to tell their stories. And I, I don't believe in the phrase, even though it's very kitschy, um, being a voice for the voiceless. I don't like that term. I believe we all have a voice. Uh, just others have been silenced but they still have a voice. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to amplify their voices. I wanted to amplify their stories. I wanted to amplify their truth. And I had no idea that it was going to take me on this journey. I moved from Hawaii, I moved to Vancouver, and then I moved to Australia. And for a long period of time, I, I kind of said this topic is following me, but it's not that it was following me. It was just my eyes then became open to seeing what was going on. And, um, you can never unsee, right? Once you know, you can look the other way, but you can never not know, unknow. And that's what was happening. So when I moved to Vancouver and I moved to Australia. And by the time I got back to Canada, it was about 2009. And I wanted to understand what was going on in Canada and in our landscape. Being that I was Canadian and living not just in the United States, but even Australia, you know, arguably three of the most free nations on the planet. And I could not believe that human trafficking, that slavery, call it what it is, slavery is still not just existing, but it's thriving. And it's happening right in front of our noses. It's happening right in front of us. And I'm like, where is the world on this issue? Where Where is everybody on this? And that's where it started my journey, um, you know, further, you know, into founding Freedom, which today is a nonprofit organization, which we founded in or I founded in 2010. And the mission then and it's still our mission today and, and the mandate is to raise awareness and funds to fight human trafficking um, in Canada and abroad. It's very simple, but it's the most important because there was a big disconnect in what was going on. People didn't not understand, never mind what human trafficking was in Canada, but that it actually happens in Canada. And so I believe you can't fight something that you're not aware exists. And so the awareness component was the biggest gap. And I wanted to bridge that gap. And so we decided that we were going to focus on all things around prevention. So legislation, speaking engagements, campaigns, community events, fundraisers, um, anything that you know, was around that education um, and awareness component, which we call the prevention piece. 
we were focusing on that. And then the the default is that we would end up raising money. And so we partner with frontline organizations and safe houses and law enforcement who are rescuing and then rehabilitating victims of human trafficking in Canada. And, you know, started as an initiative in 2010 and it's um, snowballed and grown into um, humbly one of the most authoritative voices on the issue of human trafficking in Canada today. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been following along for, I don't know, a little over a year now, and it's it's incredible what you've done. And I definitely want to get into the legislation side of it because mm-hmm. you have the big news to share on that, uh, very recent. But just to actually go back a little bit to like the beginning of your journey with uh, human trafficking, when you say when you're on the island and you see these people day in day out like were these girls partaking in like the regular daily activities and then by night they were being prostituted or you only saw them at night because it's i mean you mentioned that they're under the age of 18 a lot of them likely like were they from the island are Mm -hmm. they kidnapped because that Mm -hmm. would basically be what it was yeah how would like a 13 year old be able to be moved like through borders yeah Unless they were from the island. Yeah. So, yeah, we're trying to understand, like, how does this even happen? So, um, great questions. Lots of questions. So, like, <laughs> yeah. let's, let, let's, let's unpack, unpack this. Yeah. So, yeah, let's unpack. One so, at a time. <laughs> yeah. So, for those listening, just stay with us. We're going to we'll go through there. it all. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, there's two different components. I'll first speak to my story because um, – you know, that that's where it started. Um, and so when you look at the girls that were there are, um, it, whenever you look at a trafficking situation in the geography, um, I, I, I hate to, um, say it, but this is how human traffickers, how pimps look at it, that the human body is a commodity. So you're looking at the fundamentals of economics, Demand meets supply, but also the cost to export and import, quote unquote, the human body as a good. Okay. So being that I was in Hawaii, we had a lot of Americans, right, from all over. Um, you know, there's there's a circuit, no different than in Canada. We have many different circuits and we can get into that um, in a little bit. But the circuit is basically, you know, you move from L.A. to Hawaii to Las Vegas to Minnesota and you get circled around. So there's there was girls that, you know, you, you would see American girls on that rotation. Um, and all, then also, like I said, geography plays a part. So being that we're in Hawaii, international victims that were being trafficked a lot come from Thailand and the whole Southeast Asia region. When you look at Canada and like we're for the most of us sitting in kind of the Toronto area, you know, we see a lot of influence coming in from Africa and Eastern Europe that come into Toronto. If you go to Vancouver, again, you're going to be more on the Asian Southeast Asian side just because of borders and port of entries, right? Yeah. Does it have to do with like water being an access point or like a, a route to travel? Yeah, absolutely. And whatever your shortest route is, is going to be your your cheapest, right? So going from Japan to Vancouver versus Japan to Toronto, right? right. So um, so you you will see those 
geography demographic patterns based on where you're looking in the world. Um, and so in Hawaii specifically, um, you know, that, that was the, the demographic, um, and just for, you know, knowledge, I guess, like on, on the issue in Canada and in the United States, the majority of victims that are rescued, um, are, are domestic. So are Canadian or American, meaning do we have international victims that get trafficked? Absolutely. Is it the majority that are coming in being trafficked? Definitely not. Like 87% of victims in Canada are Canadian. So this is a, a homegrown problem that we have here at home. Same in and the United States. Uh, yeah, they're being, well, they're being trafficked around. Yeah. In, in the country. So like in the United States, 300,000, over 300,000 girls are domestically trafficked every year, um, which is a huge, it's a huge number. Um, you know, again, if you're in the GTA, that would be like taking the population of Oakville, the entire city, every single person, and moving them around the entire United States with nobody noticing. <laughs> nobody raising an eye, nobody questioning anything. Wow. Like imagine all of Oakville, the whole population just disappeared. You'd be like, what the heck? And that's what's happening in the United States, like currently. It's, it so, it seems unfathomable. I mean, totally. it, it really when does. You say, yeah. When you put it like that. <laughs> yeah. And the context, right? So yeah. Um, so the girls, and again, you know, there are runaway youth, there's the foster system, uh, there's kids that are youth at risk that become prone to falling victim to human trafficking when you're seeing girls that are, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old, um, or girls that do come from a, a good family, but they're being, their vulnerabilities are preyed upon. And you have a, an older male that is between the ages of 18 to 22, 23 usually, who preys on those vulnerabilities, right? And promises them the world, tells them they don't need anybody else, that they love them, they'll take care of them. You know, they're the most beautiful girl they've ever seen. And they prey on those insecurities and those vulnerabilities. And all it takes is a short period of time and that girl can totally um, be ostracized by her pimp from her family, even if she comes from a good family. There's a lot of um, brainwashing, really, to simply put it, that ends up taking place. Um, so, and so, sorry, does this not, yeah. but that because they're underage, does, would they be classified as like a kidnapping? Or is this a situation where, in the, like the one you just described, where the girls are like, no, I don't want to go home because they're brainwashed, obviously there's major factors that contributed to that those potential decisions from them but as like those that have parents um are they not like searching for them or uh, yeah 100 well if they have if they come from a good family um you know and that's like the statistic is 800,000 children go missing in the United States every single year so mm -hmm. you know you're talking about close to a million kids that go missing. Obviously, there's a, there's a lot of stats within that 800,000 of custody battles and actual like kid kidnappings between parents. Um, but there's right. still a tremendous amount of children who go missing. I literally, and if this was like, if we were doing um, a video, I would, I would show you guys on my screen. I have a girlfriend who's out in Vancouver right now who messaged me saying that her and her younger daughter literally have just vanished 
and the parents have no idea where she's gone. They believe that her boyfriend took her and the kids and they just don't know where she went. And so she's asking me about, could it be, could they be trafficked? Like, could this have turned this way? Um, there's different red flags in that scenario that yes, it, it very potentially could be not to get into that, that case and that deal. But my point is, is that things like this happen every single day and knowing what I know now about everything I've learned in the 17 years, I'm a firm believer that if they have not found the body, that that child, that young person is being sexually exploited and they are being trafficked. I mean, we see cases all the time of girls who have gone missing in Calgary and end up in a strip joint or a motel down in the United States in some small town, you know, whether it's like Idaho and Minnesota, Manhattan, which is not a small town. I know that for those of you guys wanting to call me out, but you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I'm like, I know Manhattan's not small, but you know, but the, the point, point is, they're, is they've been traveling for now. potentially years and Correct. very, very far distances. And so yeah. would those people Correct. be considered, you know, you said 800,000 kids are missing. How many of those are runaways? So therefore not being looked for. Mm-hmm. There's not there's not a clear um, number on. But that, are runaways but um, like grouped into that as well? They, so they would be if they were a part of the system. So if they mm-hmm. were already a part of, um, let's say, like child services, and mm-hmm. then you know went missing, yes. Um, but there's so many that just go they get overlooked and get missed or don't make it into that statistic, right? Or when you think of very impoverished communities, like wherever you have poverty and vulnerability, you're susceptible to human trafficking. And so when you think of some of the most marginalized communities and poverty, not just in Canada or the United States, but around the world, really, um, there are parents that their kids could be gone for a week and they have no freaking clue, right? right? They're not on this planet. They are constantly high out of their mind and then they just don't know. So there's so many cases where kids are just not reported um, missing and young people. And then when you think of even home situations like that, and this is how it happens. It's like when you don't know where your next meal is coming from or shelter over your head, or if you're already being abused at home, and you're forced to leave, like so many people say you chose to leave. No, the home is supposed to be a a refuge, a place of refuge. And when it's not, that is the parents' failure to do what their their responsibility to do is protect your child, right? 100%. And so when a child is forced to leave, not chooses to leave, forced to leave, and somebody else promises them something that seems less as bad than what's happening at home, even if they know they've been told, like, cause this happens where we'll be like, well, she knew that she was going to have to sleep with some guy for, you know, food or whatever. That victim is not thinking this is going to be my life for the rest of my life. And I'm signing this up. She's in survival mode. She's thinking like, I need to leave the the most toxic environment that I'm, I'm in right now. Mm-hmm. And this is going to be, this can't be as bad. And if this is the one step to get me to where I need to go, then they take that risk. And again, it's not a choice. It's the circumstance that's chosen them. And the unfortunate nightmare that begins is that it's not just one time. 
and it becomes much worse and the controlling and the abuse and the psychological damage and the trauma bond that forms between your trafficker, between your pimp, especially when you're a girl. The average age of entry into forced prostitution in Canada and in the United States is 13, 14 years old, which means there are too many kids that are ages 9, 10, and 11 that are being sexually exploited to get that number, to get that average to be as low as it is. You have to have so many that are under the age of 13, right? That's how you get that yes, average. Of course. So oh you have to God. have so many to keep it that Horrific. low. And so for me, it's, you know, that's, it's just, it's never a choice. So even when you see, and this is what I encourage people listening is because I get, I get, I get, over the years, you know, as I'm sure you guys can imagine, I get told, well, you know, the girl who's of age 21, 22, whatever, who's choosing to be in this, the most important question that you can ask if you're able to even hear the answer is, how old were you when you first pulled what they call your first trick, your sexual right. service, okay? How old were you? Because I can almost guarantee that every single girl that you'll talk to did not start at the age of consent. It did not happen. Most I have not met, and this is still true to this day, every single victim I have met, whether they were trafficked from 13 or uh, in, you know, 16, 17 years old, there was some form of sexual abuse in their lineage and their, in their growing up in their younger years for sure which also has an effect on your value of worth how you view yourself decisions that you think you're making versus not making and so again you know i encourage people that our words are so powerful and how we apply them to the situation and looking at a girl who's 20 years old and saying she's choosing this it's like take a step back zero judgment number one take a step back and you need to peel back the layers because I will put my put my life on it that there's a really good chance that her story starts when she was a teen. Just when you're speaking, I just am honing in on the language that you're mm-hmm. using throughout like your explanations because it is very different than I don't want to say like the normal conversations that people have around sex trafficking. Well, the uneducated conversations that people yeah. have. Because you do hear it's a choice or well, that's what they want to do. And and we've had um, sex workers on the show yeah. who did make the choice. Like this is what mm-hmm. they – this is what they've chosen for their life. And it's not um, – I wouldn't say they were really in like um, a prostitution but in different um, sex work uh, industries. So it, it there is very, very much a clear – definition between choice and not choice like those that we have spoken to are very well aware of their industry what they're doing who they are what they want what the rules are like it is so insanely different and um I think that's part of the issue is that do people really ask the question like what is your past or what is your story and how did you get here because I think we all as a society just don't want to think about the fact that maybe mm-hmm. starting at age nine or younger or right. any time that they've experienced um, just horrible 
injustices against well, them. Well, that's usually, totally. it's so much easier to blame them for their choices than it is to see them as a victim, which Shay is something that you do keep saying. Um, they Because they are, they're victims. They're not... Um, Absolutely. Yeah, when you're being exploited or when you're being forced into something, you're not, you're a victim. This is not okay. And they're, they're children. Yeah, and they're, yes, of course, and they're so small, but I think it's a lot easier for people to look at someone, and I think probably most people, you know, even your schoolmates or whoever who are also on that road would see those girls and be like, well, like, what did you do to get there, or... Label them right away. Label them and judge them and then therefore not have that ability because you've now like put them in that box to step back and be like, oh my God, you're a victim. Like, how can I help you? Or at least be like curious as to like what happened, you know what I mean? Instead of saying, I know what happened. You did this. Right. And also on that, like just one of the things that you mentioned about survival mode I don't think that's something that people really consider either I I was thinking about myself like if I was in that position I was starving and I was freezing and I was scared and somebody came and seemed to be nice and even and I come from a good home and you know I was taught you know don't don't talk to strangers all that but I think if you are truly desperate and in survival mode you are going to make decisions that you might not otherwise make and Yes, like it's a decision that you're making, but to live. And that's right. what you think is going to keep you alive. And to live for that day. Like like you said, yeah. m- most people don't think, okay, this is my life from now on. Yeah. This is it. Yeah. Every if single I just day do this here. one thing, then yeah, I'll Yeah, it's okay. mostly just to get through the night or, you know, yeah. that that one day or whatever. And, and that's something that people don't consider either. And by people, I mean myself. I would have never like really thought of it like that. Like, But people – see it as like a before and an after you know what i mean when really she was totally probably just trying to eat to live yeah survive yeah yeah and and there's like there is there's a lot of um luring and coercion that happens you know and there's a lot of deceit and when you're young you're super impressionable and you don't know what you don't know you just don't like and especially if you don't come from um, a home where the, it, there's been stability and you've you've seen what l- good love is supposed to look like. I love how I said good love as if there's like an alternative. Just love, right? <laughs> yeah. Like what love is supposed I knew what to you be. Meant. Yeah, me you know? too. <laughs> but like, I think, what, like, I think there, it, the idea of bad love is for sure a thing though because yeah, but that's you may simply think not that love. you're in love right, and, that would, and yes, yeah. And that was my point. I was like, there's love and there's not love. Like, there's not good love or bad love. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah. it, it is or it's not, you know? Yeah. And um, and so, yeah, you know, when you – if you haven't experienced that or grown up the, with that or had have had that modeled, you have nothing to measure that against. And also, too, your education, right? Again, you're still learning – who you even are as a person. You don't know who you are at 13, 14, 15 years old. And you're you're just you're just coming into knowledge of the world and how th- this thing that we call life really actually operates. And so you're super naive. As smart as we all thought we were at 13 and of course I thought it was the wisest, you know. Me too. I was, you know. Same. But even you said 21 is is you know being an adult Look back to when you were 21 as well. I especially knew even less then. Totally. 100%. Made some questionable decisions 
at yeah. 21 also. So, yeah, I mean, that's the thing, though. I mean, if you just look at, like, talk about the science of it, they say that your brain doesn't stop growing until you're 25. Right. So you're technically, you know, fully grown at 25 yeah. years of age. And even at 25, I still was like a kid. Really, yeah. like life was whatever. Yeah. Everything was just fun, and, and I didn't very... start making good decisions till after thirty. I think that should be the <laughs> age. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I can completely understand like the mentality because you, like you said, you don't know what you don't know, and combine that with tr- just trying to live, survive, escape a horribly toxic environment unfortunately ending up in another one but how are, how would any of these women or these youth know like right well actually that kind of brings me late. to another question like so all the good work you do how much of it is focused on prevention if that's a thing or you know besides acknowledgement like what else can we do how can how do people help how do people mm-hmm. help themselves um so that is like 95% of what we do is is the prevention stuff. Um, really, it's actually probably higher than that. And, you know, we, we spend a lot of time, uh, we're stakeholder to the federal government, the provincial government, and then the municipal government here in Toronto. Um, we are on many different roundtable discussions to implement new legislation, advise on tailoring that legislation, uh, and then, of course, bringing it to the public. So there's a lot of awareness around that between petitions and letters and calls to either your MP, your MPP, or your city councillors. Um, and, you know, calling on really citizens to know the power of their voice and uh, making a difference. You know, one of the things that we have been working on for almost a decade, nine years ago, was we didn't have a national strategy, a national action plan to fight human trafficking. And we were able to implement that nine years ago. And a part of that strategy was to have a federally recognized National Human Trafficking Awareness Day. Um, and we self-proclaimed that. Um, former MP Joyce Smith was the one who had put forward the motion for the strategy. And again, you know, we we're a stakeholder in that with some other allies and organizations. And we self-proclaimed February 22nd as the date. Um, and it um, it has significant meaning to it in that February 22nd was um, in 2007 was the first human trafficking legislation to get adopted into Canada. And so Mrs. Smith at the time thought, you know, it would be great to have that as the National Human Trafficking Awareness Day. Well, will you believe it that year after year we've gone to the House of Commons, tried to get it passed, tried to get it voted on, and it's never received a unanimous support and vote, which is really mind boggling. It is. Like, why would that be? What? Who would have anything against this? Well... That's a much bigger conversation, oh, but of course. it begs the it begs the question when it's something um, so obvious. Um, it begs the question as to why why would any government not be for this and in full support, not just can like you, a little? Can you give a tiny like if that's a whole other conversation? Can you give a small little indication as to why that is? I... Well. 
So when I first started, you know, going back in 2000 and well, we'll use Freedom's birth date. So 2010, the statistics back then were um, 27 million people in global slavery, which at the time Canada's population was just over 30 million people. So it was. And sorry, when you say global slavery, is that just the sex? Um, slavery no, or is no. that okay in totality yeah okay. so that could be forced exp- or a forced labor forced right. uh, sexual exploitation chattel labor organ trafficking Jesus. uh Ugh. you know debt bondage um you know which it, there's many different forms um okay. forced forced marriage where you're taking literally children and they're sold off to older men like, I just can't even handle it. But I um, hate how that's called child marriage when it's just child abuse. Like, it, it, it yeah, it is. Literally. And you I, can't you know, marry what? a child. You cannot no. marry no, a child. No, you, you, you can't. And, and I, it's another thing as a sidebar, and I'll come back to that, is uh, like to your question, I, I'm not trying to pivot. I will come back to it. Um, <laughs> is, the, again, I've talked to, you know, already on here with you guys about the importance and the power of our words. And um, it was a big thing for us, um, especially in the earlier days of educating politicians and the media on proper terminology. So the word child and prostitute should never go together. So right. you'll see like, you know, child prostitute rescued. And you're like, the, it implies that the child is choosing this in, in that right. situation. And or child pornography is another one where it's like it's child rape images, it's child right. abuse images, yeah. you know, it's sexually exploited children, um, you know, and then you bring up like the, you know, child marriage. It's like that is those two words don't go together. Yeah. And we have spent endless hours writing editors saying thank you so much for covering the issue of human trafficking and actually using your platform but we would love to work with you to take this a step further and ask you to go back and edit your article because the word child and pornography should never go together, you know, and many years um, with politicians even doing the same thing. So, yes, going back, we pivoted. We're talking about the stats back in 2010 versus today. And so that 27 million is that global stat that brings in all different forms of human trafficking that globally there was over 27 million people in slavery, which was about like the current population of Canada at the time in 2010, the statistic was that it was a $32 billion industry globally, which at the time was greater than the profits of Nike, Google and Starbucks combined. Oh Oh my God. God. Right. So harrowing statistic. Yeah. So fast forward to today, where we're 11 years ahead, we know more, and therefore we should be, we should do better, right? In a position yes. where we're aware and we know more, we ought to be doing better. Today, there are over 40 million people in global slavery, 80% are women and children. Out of that, 70, over 70% are trafficked for the purposes of sexual exploitation, So still the vast majority is out of, you know, sex slavery. And it's a $150 billion industry globally. So that's like five times more. Correct. So again, it goes to beg the question, 
if we know more, why is it not today the reverse? Where in 2010, it was a $32 billion industry. Why am I not telling you today that it's only a $10 billion industry globally? Because people because jumped sells. on that. Yeah. Right. And it's so a hugely profitable business, obviously. And I mean, I knew you hugely. were going to say this, unfortunately, but yeah. I think it's important that our listeners hear you say it yeah. and break it down. Yeah. And so, you know, I encourage people to do their own research and ask better questions. So when you say, for example, this time last year, well, at the beginning of February, so whatever, February 2020, we were trying to get a vote in the Liberal government of Canada to get a unanimous vote for National Human Trafficking Awareness Day, and we did not get it. You go on our Freedom website, you'll see the petition. We had so many of our um, supporters and followers. We make it really easy. Like we always put the letter there. So all you have to do is download the letter or copy and paste it, put it into an email, put your name, put your, uh, you know, your name, address, signature, et cetera, and press send. Most Canadians do not know that by law, if you contact a member of parliament or your MPP or counselor by law, they have to respond to you. So most people go, what difference is it going to make by me sending this letter, by me calling, by me emailing? And I'm like, it makes a big difference because they have to respond by law. They are elected by you. They work for you. That's how it's supposed to be anyways. So they have. I did not know that. Yeah. I did not know that. Well, see, you proved my point. (laughs) You know, like most, most people do not know. And so I always say it takes 30 seconds. And if we all take 30 seconds to do something collectively, that's how you change the world. It's how you change the course of history. It's how you implement legislation where if we all thought, oh, what's the big difference? Like, I'm, it's not going to do anything. Then we carry on and nothing nothing changes, right? But right. change brings change. And when we all do a little bit and we do our part, together it has great impact. And so last year, um, it, it, didn't, it didn't come through. We didn't, we didn't get the vote. It didn't get passed. Um, we had a lot of bummed out citizens. Uh, but, you know, we just said, keep the faith, keep pushing on your MP um, and let them know. You want to know what their office is doing to combat human trafficking in Canada. And so this year we were really grateful and excited to say that we no longer had to self-proclaim that we had our first ever National Human Trafficking Awareness Day that achieved the unanimous vote at the beginning of uh, what was on the what? I think it was the 18th, the 18th of February, something like that. February 16th. is National Human there you Trafficking go. Awareness Day. Sorry, well, that you stole was, your thunder. That, no, 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 it's okay. No, no, no. That was the day that it got the the unanimous vote through the House of Commons. So February twenty oh, second right. okay. is our is our date. Yeah. So I, know. I, wanted, I knew you were going to tell this. So I was like, I wanted to say, drum roll, please. Because so you just jumped thing. in and blurted it out instead. Yes, I'm sorry. No. I couldn't contain myself. It's totally fine. No, I don't blame you. So wow, this is amazing. Yeah, we finally have one. Um, and as exciting as it is, I it's like, why did it take this long? I was just going to say, I'm proud of you guys for staying, like seeing this optimistically, uh, but it's pretty fucked up and we can't forget that 
there was a lot of years that for some reason in yeah. quotes this was not going through and uh yeah. that's clearly a huge contributor to the problem when our legislators and our lawmakers and people in charge um so to speak are not acknowledging things point in case you know um that when you when you ask the question as to why you know why does something take so long or why don't governments do more um again i think cognitive dissonance plays a really big role in this issue in that um it's a lot easier for people to um think that people in power are all angels and that um you know that they have the best interest for people and that they really want us all to to live well and fairly and freely and um and it's easier to go to bed at night believing that than waking up and facing the reality that people that maybe you've liked or that you've had respect for or that are supposed to be quote unquote your leaders of a nation, of a company, of a faith community, whatever it is, um, is actually not who you've thought that they were. And that's very, very hard for people. Um, you know, just even the simple fact of human trafficking alone is hard for a lot of people to stomach. A lot of people, and this, again, it's, you know, you asked me about wanting to talk about some of the misconceptions and one of the biggest misconceptions around human trafficking is that it doesn't happen here, that it only happens in Thailand, in Malaysia, in India, in Eastern Europe. And the reality is, I don't care where you're sitting listening to this right now, it's happening within a two kilometer radius from where you're sitting right now. That's terrifying. I literally just got goosebumps um, when you said that. Yeah. Because- it just make it two things. It makes me feel like I'm. I need to do something like right now. I need to leave my house and go like try and help someone, um, which I want to get into that also. But I, I mean, I think when you say like we, the reality is a lot of those in power, and I use air quotes, or like our our global leaders, our country leaders. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't want to paint them all with the same brush because I do think many are great and are decent humans yep. but i we we know that they're not we've it's yeah. all over the news everyone but the thing knows is, that politicians are crooks and i again say yeah. that in their quotes as well but they do have yeah. that rep they do but it, and not just them like you said maybe it's the leader of a company or a faith group um but the thing is the society doesn't they, that's not in the media like this is one thing that you rarely rarely hear about in on the news, on your daily news. You hear about everything else, but you don't hear about this. And why? Because it is too hard to stomach. Society doesn't want to think about it because it's one of those things that you're just like, I can't, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to start. I don't know how to help. And quite frankly, it's yucky. And I don't want to think about it. I disagree. Um, I think that bad news always makes news. That's like what people go to for, right? Like mm-hmm. if if the news was about letting us sleep good at night, we would um, literally, we'd have like in the days of Oprah, of her feel-good stories, that would be like on CP24 and CTV News, right? Like if that was the aim of news, it's like, well, why not show like all of the good things that people are doing around the world, right? But that rarely makes the news. It's the bombs going off. It's the, you know, terrorist stuff. It's the car accidents. Mm -hmm. It's the murders. It's, it's 
all the negative stuff. So the bigger question is why, why doesn't the media cover this as much? And the bigger question to that question is who owns the media? And when you look at who controls the media, um, and it's a very few, there's, it's like in the States, it's six corporates that own over 97% of the media outlets. In Canada, I don't know how many it is, but it's not a lot that own all the media outlets. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely an agenda to not expose this issue the way that it deserves. And the way that when you think of horrific news, quote unquote, like when you think of that, this should be covered left, right, and center. There's almost but it, nothing but it's, more horrific than child abuse. Yeah, in my opinion, I, I spot on with you. You know, so when you start looking at who owns who owns the media um, and some of maybe their agendas to to remove it, um, it can lead you down a different rabbit hole. And that's not what this podcast is talking about today. Um, but like, I think it's well, a bigger conversation. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think it's something that we should avoid talking about. That's for sure. And even just well, having we'll have to have you back on to yeah, go totally down because... to go down that rabbit hole because we want to talk about it. Yeah, this is something that we don't even think about. I don't even think yeah. I would have never thought about it that way. The what I would think about it is we don't see this in the news because a they word it differently. You know, they'll say prostitute instead of child abuse case. So you see that stuff in the news. But again, I I do agree with you, Shay. I think that the news loves the horrific things, just not this. So, yeah, I really think that is something to... It makes you question. Yeah, and I think, like, there's... if If you can follow me with this term and not kind of take it out of context, which maybe some people will come after me for it, but... They like things that are approved, quote unquote, safe, horrific things, right? So that. when it can yeah. be when it can be framed and used to not expose other powerful people or what could or could not be happening, they're going to shine light all over the, the safe stuff. Yeah. When you look at Harvey Weinstein, Jeffrey Epstein. You brought up Peter Nygaard, um, you know, off, Prince you know, Andrew. Prince Andrew. You're talking about some very, very powerful people and their friends. No, that is definitely an area that we wanted to talk to you about because I obviously there is a protection of the predators. And, and when the predators are million billionaires, they can buy silence. And well, and they're friends 100%. with everyone else that's controlling the silence as well. And they exactly, yeah. and they can, and because they're powerful, they can ruin people if they're not silent. I mean, that's sort of like really simplifying it, but yeah, there's um, there's a phrase that I I I haven't coined it, but I or maybe have I don't know, but um, I call it murdered by suicide. Where, like, you know, there are people, when you say ruin their lives, it's like, it, it, it goes much further than that. You know, where people are literally suicided, like murdered by suicide. And that's how it comes out for people who are wanting to expose th- this type of behavior. And again, there's major money in it. Major money. Yeah. Um, and again, you can go down a whole other rabbit hole that people will start to go, conspiracy theorists, 
this, it's not that, whatever. And it's just like, you, you just need to go do your research. Like it, it is literally right there. And when you start connecting the dots, you'll see, and this isn't new. Like there's, there's people that will come out and go, you know, it, there's their one narrative is like the conspiracy theorists that think like there's a group of elites that are running like a sex trafficking ring in the world and they're out to like, like ruin everybody. <laughs> right. Yeah. And the reality is, is that before 2020, this shit has been happening in all levels of places for a very long time. Well, I mean, forever. it is forever. It is, it is no secret that the Catholic church, that different faith communities, there's been the former prime ministers that have been involved in this. Like it is not, there's nothing new quote unquote about this. It's just all of a sudden in 2020 was like very ramped up. And so I don't know why people, again, I, I go, I, I default to like, the the ease of like cognitive dissonance where it's like easier to just not believe and address it and face it and just say, well, 2020 was the year of conspiracy theories and y'all are nuts and like put it in that bed and like walk away versus forget about 2020 and look at all of the stuff that's happened before 2020 of the people who are involved from senators to um, governors, to in Canada with our MPs, to doctors, to lawyers, to crown attorneys, to taxi cab drivers, to, you know, leaders of prime ministers in countries. Like this has been happening in all levels and places for a long time. And so when you start, again, when you start unpacking the connection with the media and who owns the media and looking at just the flight logs, just start with the flight logs. There's all kinds of stuff that's there. And just because it's not been proven. And again, we, we, we live in a world where it's like, you're innocent until you're proven guilty. And it's like, okay, sure. Yes. But there's like enough evidence that it should be pursued. And the fact is, is it's not being pursued. Why? It's being completely dismissed. And it's part of canceled culture. Like literally anybody who speaks out against the narrative that the mainstream media is pushing and it doesn't suit their agenda, you're canceled for it. Why is that? Like you well, have to ask that question. Why? I, for sure. I a hundred percent agree. And I right? mean, this is a, a full, like this could be a totally different rabbit hole. Totally. For sure. and <laughs> I I w- I w- we would love to have the conversation more on that angle because it isn't one that I know enough about and it isn't one that is discussed because like you said, you know, we've all heard about the Epstein. I feel like unless there's a Netflix special about it, it it goes away. And that's the biggest thing, right? Like you hear it and you're like, oh, well, that's terrible. And then it's gone. Totally. But even with the Netflix specials, they they still go away. Like Jeffrey Epstein happened. Oh, my God. That's crazy. Okay, done. Weinstein Was he the only person? Like, why are we still not always talking about this all the time? He couldn't yeah, like, have been the why only guy. Are we not talking about the fact that he, I, and I'm sorry, I forget her name, Ghislaine or whatever her Matt name is. Yeah. Like, yeah. she, where is she gone? So, I mean, that is the bigger thing here. And unless you're kind of having these regular conversations with somebody like yourself, Jay, who's immersed in this, it isn't part totally. of your daily life. And yeah. It really should be. I mean, as the human race, we have the responsibility to protect our youth. It doesn't matter if you're related to them or not, or you live in the same country. 100%. Children are children, and as adults, our job is to protect them. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and I like that and you we're said adults because, like, I don't have kids of my own. I'm, like, one of my most honored titles is aunt and godmother. Um, and I've got a whole bunch of them. Uh, but I, I agree. I believe that as an adult, it's our it's our responsibility. As a parent, it's, like, even heavier. But, like, as a, as an adult, as a human being, it's just our responsibility to, to fend for those that are too innocent and too young and, and can't fend for themselves Absolutely. in this capacity. I am a yeah. parent. I have two children. I have sons. And I often say to them in all sorts of situations, it is my one job to protect you when they when I don't let them fly off a you know 30 foot hill with no helmet on it is my one job to protect you that is my one job if I do nothing else that is all I am supposed to do so I mean it's something that needs to be much more adopted from a global standpoint like not just well that's not my child so I don't have to worry about it and um I mean we've talked about like some of the famous predators that are involved in sex trafficking and, um, well, pedophilia, quite frankly, like that's what they are. They're pedophiles. But how does like the porn industry kind of exacerbate this too? Because, uh, and I'm, I'm speaking to, about this because of one of the posts that you had in about Pornhub encouraging like sex trafficking. So Pornhub in itself is basically a site that, profits from the rape and abuse um, of so many victims that are underage, non-consensual, and children that are are literally being raped and they're profiting off of it. Um, you know, I did a post on it. We did a whole campaign on it trying to get the Canadian government um, to basically remove Pornhub um, from Canada, like off of like out of being allowed on our servers. They have 42 billion visits per year, which breaks down to um, 115 million visits. I guess that would be like basically per month, which is bringing on one third of the U.S. population that visits Pornhub um, in a month, which is like, it's just insane. Um, they're a huge, huge vehicle that perpetuates um, and is part of the demand that increases human human trafficking. You know, that's just really simple put. I don't understand, like, how that's even legal, though. I guess there's no one checking ages of these people, but I mean, these victims. But, I mean, you can tell. A child is a child most of the time. So, so I, like, how do they, is there loopholes? Like, how are they getting away with this? Because I mean, I, I just want to know. Like, I have gone on Pornhub before. Are you talking about children like under the age of consent, but are teenagers and may look older? Or are you talking about children that are like six? Yeah, that are like really yes. okay. Yeah, that's a nod. So, like, that's a specialized search. Yeah. Like, you're yeah. searching for that. I mean, then. there was a case, and you can go and Google it. Anybody listening can go Google it. Of a, you know, a victim I who I um, is a teen who was raped. It was filmed, and it circulated on Pornhub. And she contacted Pornhub. She went to the media to say, you know, remove the video. And basically, Pornhub said. It's not our content and we're not liable for it. And they wouldn't remove it. And it was like literally people are paying to watch this girl being raped over and over again. 
Um, and again, so do you think people think it's fake though? Do you think people think it's like snuff kind of filming? Or like, is that what oh, people are attracted to? Yeah, like I mean, we know people have fantasies, no judgment, I guess, but hey, like kind if, of judgment if, if you're kind of judging file. for sure. Um, but like do you think it's just lack of education? Like people just don't know that real stuff and illegal um, things and real rape, real abuse, all that is, this is real. Like it's not, it wasn't set up in a studio. Um, so even if that's true, okay, what you're saying is irrelevant. It's irrelevant Fair. if people don't know, are unaware, think that it's consensual, whatever. The reality is, is that it's not. And Pornhub, who is the host of this content, who can see the content, is not being held accountable. And here's, again, this is, we, you know, when you talk about asking, asking very important questions, okay? How is it that we are living in a time where I don't care if you are for or against President Trump. No social platform should ever have the ability to cancel a president of any nation and mute that that leader, period. Doesn't matter what that person has said. At no point should social platforms have more power than the, than the president, period. At no, and we're seeing this constantly where if you go again and I, I, you know, going back to the mainstream media narrative, whether it's you believe COVID is real, not real, vaccines, no vaccines, whatever your position is, those that are speaking out against the mainstream media narrative are being canceled literally like this, like super, like it is, it's unbelievable how they are extracting at a flip of a switch, information and things that are so less concerning than having child children being raped on the internet. Why is that not being turned off by a flip of a switch? Why is it that when we call for child children who are, are being exposed online in an exploitive, abusive, torturous to the point of murderous like some of these kids literally bleed out literally when you think of a kid who is being freaking oh raped that is that is okay. a result for for many of these children or who have um you know as especially as a female who will never have a reproductive system that is functional because of the damage that's been done to them why why are we not removing this from the internet and unplugging so quickly they have the ability to do that so the question is why instagram why twitter why facebook why are you not in support of shutting down google why are you not in support of shutting down Pornhub and extracting all of these abuse that's happening you want to leave the consensual stuff up i will argue even what consensual means on Pornhub. okay but for simplicity of this conversation Whatever is deemed, quote unquote, consensual, fine. Okay, fine, leave it up. But you have the power. We've seen it. You have the ability to literally remove 
any Instagram account, any Instagram post from that account, any Instagram story, I'm shadow banned on Instagram because of, of the human trafficking stuff that I've, that I share. And it's like, why are you, why are you blocking me when you should be actually helping me get this on more eyeballs? Right? Why is it when you report on Instagram a very blatant pedophile account that it says that, oh, this doesn't violate Instagram community standards? Terms. Why is that? And if you follow Freedom or if you follow me, you'll see I've done videos on it and encouraging people to report it and take a screenshot of Instagram's response, tag Freedom in it, and we'll reshare it to help. People see this isn't a one-off thing. This is a this is consistent behavior and monitoring from Instagram that does not support protecting children. So why, like again, the question is why? Why is this happening? And again, this is a whole other conversation that you know, part two podcast, we can come back. But when you talk about Pornhub and why it's happening, it's because they're allowing it. That's the simple reality, is because it is a multi-billion, multi-billion dollar industry. And there are people at the top in high places that are paid to turn the other way, are profiting from it. That's just a simple fact. Because if it didn't yield the returns, it wouldn't be happening. It just wouldn't. If it didn't yield the returns. But you're talking about something oh. that caters to 100 and, and is a part of $150 billion industry and, you know, brings in 42 billion viewers, uh, visitors a year. So those statistics are just like, I can't, I don't even have words. Like I'm sickened by it. I'm angry. Obviously I'm frustrated. I'm upset with myself because I feel like there's got to be something I can do. Like this is the problem. Mm -hmm. We just don't know enough it's not and like you said you are being muted and silenced in the sense that there are outlets in place that are ensuring that this doesn't become regular conversation in society this is not these are these visually audibly like there there is a lot of work and effort going in to ensure that this is not getting out there yeah you're absolutely right and I used to, before this conversation, love loved going on Pornhub. Um, I had no idea that that like there was anything other than like consensual, and I, I again put that in quotes. Like I had no idea that there was children or anything like that on there. Um, but I think we assume that sort of thing is like dark web stuff, right? Sure. Yeah. And you, as you go, like, you know, I mean, I don't use Pornhub, but any, you know, adult quote unquote service website, there's that stupid little box that says, are you of the age of consent? And as long as you click that, then everything's okay, quote unquote, like, right. And so if you're a person that has no intent on you're not a pedophile, you're not looking for child abuse images and whatever, then sure, you know, you could go on there and just not think anything because you're like, oh, well, they're they're asking the, the simple question and I've checked the box and like, you know, whatever. Yeah. But 
you know, even if a 13-year-old landed on Pornhub, they're still going to check the same box. So where's the liability? You know, where's the accountability that is being held to these major conglomerates? Um, You know, that again, they, they just, they have the ability. That's the most frustrating part is if 2020 didn't teach us anything, it taught us that they have the ability to remove everything that's horrific off of the internet, off the internet. They have the yeah. ability to remove out of arm's reach um, anything that no children should come across, that no pedophile should ever have access to. They have the ability to remove it very easily, very quickly. And why aren't they? That's that's the biggest question. Yeah, that is the biggest question. And I think that's the biggest takeaway from this conversation is the fact that yeah. You think you're safely operating like on a website when all An you're innocent. doing is contributing <laughs> right. to this hideous, hideous injustice. Yeah, it, it's not. I mean, I think we are going to wrap up this conversation. Um, and this is it's very unusual for us to like leave on a note like that. But it is something to leave our listeners with. You, everybody out there that listens to this podcast, um, that you know maybe uses Pornhub or other services, like we, you need to ask why. Ask why that you can even access horrible abuse to children, um, and then ask yourself, like, are you really okay with that and supporting it? Because, um, I mean, this kind of that is considered sex trafficking, I would assume, still, right? It is. Oh, because... big time. Yep. 100%. Well, that's, yeah. that's abuse. That's rape. That's, you know, child yep. horrible things. So, yeah. yeah, that's... I mean, I think you've kind of left us a little bit speechless, Shay. Well, um... it's leaving on a sad note. And obviously, this conversation wasn't something that is uh, uplifting, like a lot of our conversations are. But it is the cold, uh, hard reality of what is going on out there and we are really grateful that you talk to us about this i know our listeners will be really happy to also get this information and why don't you tell people where they can find you and especially um where they can send those photos of if they report things because maybe that is something else we can all be doing as well totally so you know i'll say this because obviously i've had many of these conversations over the past 17 years and they are not light. They're not fluffy. Um, and oftentimes people, you know, go pour yourself a nice glass of wine, you know, after this. Um, but the encouraging part is that we have come a long way, even though we still have a lot to do. The fact is that you guys are having this conversation and people are listening. And so now those of you who are listening, you get to choose to become a little part of the solution. And so rather than sit with it and be like, wow, this just totally ruined my night, my afternoon, whatever, choose to let it to empower you, like Mm -hmm. choose to go and do what I call a research challenge. You've learned something today, maybe one thing, maybe a couple things, maybe you've never heard about human trafficking and you know more now than you did at the beginning of this, of this podcast. And that's a win for me. That's, that's a win. And so I leave you know, with, with you guys going, take, take that away as positivity. And, um, you know, we've just come off of the national human trafficking awareness day. Um, July is going to be world day against human trafficking at the end of the month. Join us, 
you know? So you've, you've taken this information, digest it, and now you can be a part of the solution. Share some of the information of what you've learned. You can follow us on free them. Um, our Instagram handle is free underscore them underscore. You can follow me, which is just my first and last name, Shame Vidiata. Very hard, but I'm sure the girls are going to put this in the notes. So you can, yes. you know, click on the notes, find me there, um, you know, but connect with me on Instagram. Uh, definitely sign up for our newsletter on freethem.ca. We uh, do a monthly newsletter unless there's breaking news. So it only goes out once a month. And that's where you're going to get connected on campaigns that we're doing that are online um, you know, what's going on in the world of human trafficking, in the news, that sort of thing. So you get plugged in and then we give you ways that you can share that information. You can participate, join the campaign, share our stuff on Instagram. We make it super easy for people where it's like the data is there, the information there, the, the awareness pieces are there. All you have to do is repost it, is share it, you know, tag mm -hmm. us in your stuff. You know, you had brought that up earlier, Jess, like, you know, if you come across an account or um, or anything really, you know, tag us in it. And uh, we'd love to be able to connect with you. Um, and so as much as this is heavy, um, you know, know that we've come a long way. And so you hearing this, you just get to become part of the solution. And for me, that's pretty exciting. So, Aww. yes. And, and I thank you for adding that positive spin mm -hmm. on it. Um, it, there is definitely positives and negatives to take away from this conversation, but there is, there is change happening and there is still more to be done. And like you said, Jay, if we all do a little bit, we can hopefully eradicate, um, human trafficking in the hopefully very near future. So, I mean, as always, you can follow us at Herspective underscore podcast. If for some reason you need more information, you want to get in touch with Shay, we can also help facilitate that too. Um, and yeah, everyone needs to start doing their part. Um, we need to stop turning a blind eye. So thank you so much, Shay, for having this conversation with us. And we absolutely will be having you back on to talk about some different avenues. Of all those other side topics. Yeah, all the other side topics because those are just as important and uh, yeah. people need to be aware of that too. So again, yeah. thank you so much. Happy to come back anytime. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.